A man and his ever-nagging wife went on vacation to Jerusalem. While they were there, the wife passed away. The undertaker told the husband, you can have a ship home for $5,000 or you can bury her here in the Holy Land for $150. The man thought about it and he told him that he would just have a ship home. The undertaker was perplexed. He said, why would you ship your wife home for $5,000? Why would you not allow her to be buried here in the Holy Land for $150? The man thought about it for a second, then he replied. He said, you know, 2,000 years ago, a man died here and was buried here. And three days later, he rose from the dead. I just cannot afford to take that chance. Hey, welcome to Arise uh, Easter Sunday service. Uh, those of you that come along to church, I'm sure you would have been expecting that. It's my favourite Easter joke, uh, and it's just a joke, by the way. Favourite Easter joke. I can't wait till Easter to share that every year. Maybe it's the first time you've heard it. If it is, I hope you got a bit of a chuckle out of that gag. Hey, what a great day to gather together. I know we're not here physically. I know we're not gathering in a building, but we are at home and we're sitting either in front of a computer, maybe a phone. Uh, Maybe you're gathered with your family. Maybe your children are there. Uh, Maybe you're by yourself at the moment. But I want you to know this, that we're thinking of you, that we are praying for you, that we are believing this is going to be a great day as we remember together the death, the burial, and today in particular, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Our God is not dead. Our God has been raised from the dead and we have life in Jesus. We have life because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it's an exciting day. People all around the world are going to be celebrating uh, with us today, not just those of us here in Lismore, members of Arise. Uh, maybe there's some people online right now and uh, you're from other places. Welcome. Thanks for, uh, for joining us this morning, having a listen. Maybe there are some people here this morning and you don't normally go to church. Uh, maybe your uh, religion is not a part of your world. I relate to that. I understand Uh, I'm about 48 years of age now. I know I look a lot younger than that. Take away this facial hair and I'd look even younger still. Uh, I've held my age pretty good, uh, some would say. But, uh, you know, when I was 19 years of age, I had an encounter with God. I was not brought up in a Christian home. There was no Bibles in my house. We didn't go to church. Uh, But at 19 years of age, something happened in my life and I opened up my heart to the reality and possibility of God. And I prayed a prayer sincerely and I just said, Lord, if you're there, would you come and would you take over my life? Would you come and would you change this life? Would you turn my existence into something worth having? Would you turn my life into something worth living? Would you make something useful of my life? Because I wasn't doing a great job of it up to that point. And I can't explain how he did it, but he did something. God came and he changed my life at 19 years of age. And maybe you're watching today and maybe you're alienated or distant from God. Maybe you feel uh, like you're not walking for God, living for God at the moment. Well, you know what? Today, right now, is as good a time as ever. All you've got to do is open your heart up to God and ask God, cry out to God. He made a promise. If you cry out to me, if you seek me with all your heart, you're going to bump into me eventually. You're going to run into me. I'll reveal myself to you. I'll show you who I am. So let me encourage you this morning, if you're, you're watching and you're not a church person, that's okay. Stick around. I want to explain a couple of things nice and simply about what it is that we're celebrating today, uh, the resurrection of Jesus. Before we do, a couple of did you knows. Number one, did you know that there are over 300 verses in the Bible that actually speak about the resurrection of Jesus Christ? It's not just uh, a minor uh, topic, it's a very significant topic. Uh, the, the resurrection of Christ is basically the culmination of everything that you read in the Bible before Jesus came. So the Old Testament is all pointing forward to the cross of Jesus Christ. And everything written after that is pointing backwards to the cross of Jesus Christ. So what we celebrate this weekend is the most significant event 
in the history, I believe, of the world and most definitely in the history of the Christian church and the Christian calendar. Did you know that the religious leaders or the Romans, they could have ended this entire movement right back at its inception. All they had to do was produce a body. Now, some people claim that Jesus was not raised from the dead. Well, all the Romans had to do, or the religious Jewish leaders at the time, all they had to do was to produce a body and they could have squashed this movement, this movement now that is all over the world. Millions of people have found life and peace in Jesus Christ and comfort in Jesus Christ. Uh, all over the world, every tribe, nation and tongue, this message has permeated right throughout the globe. Yet it could have been stopped right then and there. Yet there's no evidence of a body. And there's also no evidence of anybody claiming that they took the body that I'm aware of anyway and that they stole the body of Jesus Christ. All they had to do was produce it and you and I wouldn't be celebrating this particular event right now. Did you know that the disciples could have caved on in under the pressure? Uh, when Christianity started, it was actually an illegal uh, religion. It was not uh, uh, the popular uh, faith, I guess, of many Western nations, as you see now, although it is losing its popularity. Uh, but Christianity was not as accepted as what it is now. In the beginning, uh, Christians, we used to be called followers of the way. We used to be called the way. And it was an illegal uh, sect group and these people were persecuted people went from door to door in the early days persecuting christians and i know in many nations of the world today that is still unfortunately uh the case but i'm blessed i live in australia and right now we have a certain amount of religious freedom and i'm allowed to gather and film this and put this on uh, youtube and when we get through coronavirus we will be allowed to gather back together in groups and celebrate the name of jesus and lift up uh, god we'll be able to do that and now these disciples in the early days, they could have caved under the pressure of that, but they didn't. They hung on to that message. It's amazing when you think about a, a guy uh, called, there's a man called Peter who was a follower of Jesus. And I think about Peter and when Jesus was telling his followers that he'd be crucified, Peter was the big one that said, hey, everybody else might run and desert you, Jesus, but I will die for you. This is what, Jesus, what uh, Peter said to Jesus. Yet later on, after Jesus has been taken by the mob and he's been questioned and on his way to crucifixion, uh, Peter finds himself with a servant girl in a courtyard and she says, you are a follower of Jesus. And Peter passionately denies it and turns his back on God. And not some time later after that, about a handful of days later after the supposed resurrection of Jesus, you know, Peter goes on from that point and history will tell us that Peter was actually crucified himself. He was killed for this faith that we're standing here believing in today. And he wasn't the only one. There were many of the original disciples that went on and physically gave their life for their belief and faith in the resurrection of Jesus. Now, if it wasn't true, why would they do that? At what point would it cause, what sort of a lie would you be prepared to physically die for? I know I would never put my life on the line for an absolute total lie. Not something I knew not to be true. But these guys, from their perspective, they knew that the resurrection had taken place. And because of that, they went out there and they proclaimed the resurrection of Jesus to the known world of the time. And they couldn't be stopped, even with swords, even with knives, even with beatings, they couldn't be stopped. Why? Because to them, it was true. And to me, today, in 2020, that message is just as true. What about the existence of the church right now, all over the world? You know, there are nations where people are still being persecuted. You know, there are people that have found hope in Jesus Christ. There are people whose worlds have been turned around by the reality of Jesus, just like me, just like probably many of you watching uh, at home at the moment. There are people whose lives have been impacted. I think the greatest evidence for the reality of God in 2020 
is the existence of the church. And when I say the church, I don't mean buildings, bricks and mortar. I mean people who have opened their heart to the reality of Jesus, people who've accepted the life of God. And maybe you are sitting there watching and maybe that's not you yet, but maybe you know some of those people. Go and talk to them, go and ask them, what's the reason? Why do they believe what they believe? Um, it's because maybe, and hopefully they've researched this event, the resurrection. And I'm getting to this point here that the, the, the most significant event in the Christian calendar is the resurrection of Christ. Our faith is based on an event in human history. And we can never forget that. It's not based on how we feel. It's not based on whether God healed my, my nana or he didn't heal my nana. It's not based on whether I got the result I asked for or I didn't get the result I asked for. It's not based on whether I woke up this morning and I had goosebumps in a prayer time or whether I just felt totally flat and dead, but I've just got to believe in faith that God is listening. Our faith, the foundation of our faith, is not based on any of those experiences or situations. It's based on an actual event that took place in human history 2,000 years ago, the event that we're celebrating today. And nothing that happens in 2020 is going to erase an actual historical event from 2,000 years ago. Jesus Christ is resurrected and we celebrate that and we remember that this morning. You know, the last few days I've been just doing something a little bit different. I've been going through the Bible and I've been looking at the the story of the crucifixion and rereading from the Thursday night when Jesus had his last supper with his disciples and reading through to uh, the resurrection of Jesus Christ when he was raised from the dead. And you know, there's a couple of things, there's two statements that have really jumped out at me in the last uh, 24 hours as I've been rereading this story. And I just want to share those two simple little points with you for the next uh, uh, 10 minutes or so. Two simple little statements. They're not going to be profound. You know them, you would have read them, uh, but They've meant something really significant to me in the last 24 hours. So I just want to share them with you. The first one is this. In Matthew chapter 27 and verse 40 to 42, Matthew records this. After Jesus has been grabbed by the mob, he's been tried and he's been nailed to the cross and he's hanging up there for all the world to see. In Matthew 27, 40 to 42 says this, that the crowds walked past and they said this. They said, look at you now. Speaking to Jesus, look at you now, they yelled at him. You said you were going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Well then, if you are the son of God, save yourself and come down from the cross. The leading priests, the teachers of religious law and the elders also mocked Jesus. Here's what they said. He saved others, they scoffed, but he can't save himself. He saved others, but he can't save himself. You know, the truth of the matter is this, that Jesus could have saved himself. It was within the realms of absolute possibility for him to have saved himself in that moment. If you go back to Matthew 26, we've got the story of the mob coming to Jesus. He's in the garden and he's praying. And the mob come to Jesus. And when they come to take him away, Peter, one of his followers at the time, who was still uh, uh, alongside of him, reached out and tried to defend him with the sword. Jesus makes this radical statement to uh, not only to Peter, but he says it to the mob that come and get him. And here's what he says. He says, Don't you realize that I could ask my father for thousands of angels to protect us and he would send them instantly? Jesus knew in that moment, all I have to do is say, Father, send your angels, get me out of this situation. And he had full belief that his father would do it in an instant. 
in a heartbeat. All he had to do was say, Father, come and save me, and it could have happened. While he hung on that cross, he could have easily said to God, okay, that's enough now, take me down and let's let's get on with it. And he was confident that the Father would have done what he asked him to do. That's amazing. So when these guys are shouting out to Jesus saying he saved others, but he can't save himself, the truth is this, he could have saved himself. See, what they didn't realise as they pointed at him was this, in order to truly save others, he couldn't save himself. Let me say that again. In order to truly save others, Jesus Christ couldn't save himself. You see, Jesus knew what his life was about. He knew that his death on that cross was different from any other human being who had ever been crucified on a Roman cross. In fact, his death was so significant and meant so much more than any other human death in the history of humanity. God was doing something incredibly unique through the life of Jesus, but even more so, he was doing something incredibly unique. A one-of-a-kind event was taking place through the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Now, the book of Romans says this. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life, through Christ Jesus our Lord. Let me say it again. The wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Now let me tell you something about wages. Wages are something that you earn. Um, I go to work and I do my hours. At the end of that week, I get my wages paid to me. But it wasn't a gift. They didn't just give that to me. It was a response to something that I had done. Uh, wages are something that we earn. And according to Paul, when he wrote to the Romans, he tried to explain to them and say this, that, that the wages for sin is death. In other words, when we sin, when we sin, there is something that we're earning in the process. And what we're earning by our sinning is death. Um, Romans uh, 3.23 says this, it says, For everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glorious standards of God. Every one of us have sinned and fallen short of the glorious standards of God. So in order for Jesus to truly save others, he couldn't save himself. Why? Because the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Let me put it very simply. Everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You and me have sinned. We have fallen short of God's standard. Now we can compare ourselves to the person on the left and feel better about ourselves and think we're good. Compare ourselves to the person on the right and maybe we're not so good. Maybe we drop a peg or two. But the reality is this, that we're not being compared to the person on the left or the person on the right. We're being compared to the glorious standards of God. And every single one of us as human beings have strayed from the glorious standards of God. We can't live up to it. Hey, and by the way, it doesn't make you a bad person. It's just the reality of human existence. None of us will ever be good enough to stand in the presence of a perfect and a holy God. And so if I can summarize the Old Testament, God so loved people that when Adam and Eve first sinned and turned their back on God and and they were removed from his presence, removed from the garden, here's what happened. God straight away came up with a plan. How can I continue to have relationship with them because I love them? But at the same time, I mean what I say, the wages of sin are death and somebody's got to pay. Matter of fact, I think it's in Hebrews, it says that, that, that without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sin. So God came up with a system. Man sins, they kill an animal, the blood is spilled. God looks at the animal and goes, okay, that animal just paid for your sin. This is, I'm just simplifying things here. That animal 
copped what you deserve. The wages of your sin is death, but the animal died, therefore you're okay. And so Israel for years and years had this system in place where God was able to maintain relationship with people because they would sin, they would shed the blood of an animal and so on. But there came a time in human history where God decided, you know what, Uh, enough is enough. I've been leading towards something and I've been leading towards this moment, this life of Jesus Christ and his death, his burial and his resurrection. And so when Jesus dies on the cross, he becomes the final sacrifice for sin. He becomes the final shedding of blood for sins past, present and future. And so when Jesus hangs on that cross, he knows that what he's doing is not for himself or his own benefit. What he's going through is so that mankind, you and me, could have our sins paid for so that we could come back into relationship with God. You see, God has this dilemma. How does he uphold his mercy and how does he uphold his justice at the same time? Well, he did it all through the cross of Jesus Christ. He upholds his justice because the wages of sin is death. So you cannot get away with sin. There must be the shedding of blood. So he sends his only son, Jesus, and Jesus pays the price, not for anything he did, but for what I did and what you've done. So God upholds his justice by making sure that our sins have been paid for and they have been through Jesus. But he also upholds his mercy because he loves us and he doesn't want us to be the one that has to pay for our own sins. He doesn't want us to be the one that has to go through the pain and the suffering and the death that sin causes. So in one foul swoop, in one moment in history, through Jesus Christ, he upholds his justice and he upholds his mercy. You see, Jesus could have saved himself, but he knew in order to truly save others... I can't save myself because I'm the means by which others will be truly saved. And so Jesus gives up his life on that cross. He who knew no sin became sin for us. What is sin? Sin is simply missing the mark. It was actually an archery term. People would pull back the the arrow and they would release it and the arrow would fly through the air and if it fell short of the target, somebody would call out, sin, fallen short. And you and I have fallen short of God's glorious standards. And there's a price to be paid for that. But let me give you some great news. Today we remember the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus defeated sin. Jesus defeated death. He went through what he went through on the cross for you and for me. So that we could be reconciled and come back into relationship with God. We've got a choice to make. It doesn't automatically happen. But everything that needs to be done for your sin to be forgiven, everything that needs to be accomplished and done was done 2,000 years ago. God's just waiting for us to respond to what he's done. The second statement that uh, sort of jumped on me as I've been reading uh, the Bible in these last few days is this. Uh, in Matthew 27 and verse 51, it says this. At that moment, this is when Jesus breathed his last and when he died. It says, at that moment, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two. Matthew says this, Mark says this, Luke records it as well. When Jesus died, that the temple curtain was torn in two. Now that temple curtain was a really thick thing, about as thick as a phone book. And it was placed where it was to separate the most holy place, the place where they believed the very presence of God dwelt from every other place. There was a curtain there. And it was so sacred that only once a year, the high priest could go into that place and he could offer uh, atonement for sins. He would he would try to make amends for the sins of the people. Once a year, he could go in there. They used to actually tie a chain to his leg when he walked in there. Because if he dropped dead in the presence of God, nobody could even go in there to get him. They would have to drag the body out. That's how holy that space was. And that's where they believed the very presence of God was. Yet when Jesus died, 
Matthew says, says it, Mark says it, Luke says it. It says the temple curtain was torn in two from top to bottom. I want you to imagine this. It's like God himself reached down from heaven and he grabbed a hold of that temple curtain like a massive phone book and he tore it in half straight away. It's almost like God couldn't wait for, for this season of humanity to be over. God couldn't wait for Jesus to finally pay the price for sin. God couldn't wait for that thing that separated you and, and God and me and God, that thing that was standing between us. God couldn't wait for that thing to be removed. He reached down from heaven and he tore that thing apart with his own bare hands, signifying in that moment there's now no longer any separation between you and me. I've done everything that is necessary for you to come back into relationship with me. I've done everything. There's nothing left for you to do. You can't earn it, you can't be good enough you can't be smart enough, you can't attend church enough, you can't give enough money you can't memorise enough Bible passages you can't do anything, you can't help enough old ladies, you can't feed enough poor, none of those things are going to earn your space back in my presence, I've done everything already, all you have to do is accept that I did everything that was necessary for you to come to me this is the beautiful story of Jesus, you see Jesus is God's way of reaching from heaven down to mankind. Religion is man's efforts to try to reach up to God, you know. Do more of this, do more of that, tidy yourself up, give up that, change this, change that, and then come to God. Through Jesus Christ, God said, you know what, I will take the initiating step. I will take the first step towards you. I will make sure that your sin is dealt with. And I'll make sure that that thing that stands between us is ripped in half so that here I am. Now all you need to do is make the choice to take the steps towards me. God will never violate your free will. He'll never back you into a corner. He'll never make you come to faith. He'll never make you believe. He'll never make you invite him into your world. He won't do that. He gave you this gift of free will. So the wages of sin is death. That's what we deserve. We deserve our wages. But the gift of God The gift of God. What's a gift? It's something that somebody else chooses to freely give. And God chose to freely give you this gift called eternal life. All you have to do is accept it. It doesn't matter whether you feel like you're worthy or not. You didn't give the gift. You just got to receive it. You know, God decided you were worthy enough 2,000 years ago. God decided you were worth it 2,000 years ago. And let me tell you something. I don't know who you are, everybody watching this, and I don't know how you feel about yourself. But I want to tell you this, God loves you, and God thinks you're worth it. And all God wants from you is that you would open up your heart to his reality. God wants you to realise that the way you've been living up to now, it's got you the results you've got in life right now. I remember 19 years of age, the life I had, the way I felt, the life I was living was really just a result of my own choices. It wasn't God's fault. God had a way better life in store for me, but I thought I knew better. So I just did my own stuff until I got to a point where I realised, you know what, my stuff doesn't work. My stuff doesn't bring me anything good. My stuff wasn't filling that empty void inside of my heart. The way I did things wasn't working. And so I cried out to God. I said, Lord, thank you. If you're really there, would you come and invade my world? And he did. And you know what? I am a changed person because of that prayer that day. And I was standing on a roundabout too in the middle of the Pacific Highway uh, in Ballina. I wasn't in a church, I wasn't in a religious meeting or a holy moment. I had trucks and buses whizzing around me in that moment, fumes of the traffic. 
But I stood there and I meant it from my heart. I said, God, if you want this life, you can have it. God, I've done a great job at messing it up. God, would you come? And would you make sense? Help me to, to live better. Would you come? Would you fill that empty void inside of my life? Would you take this life? And would you make something beautiful out of it? Would you make something useful out of it? And he did that. God came to me in that moment. And he changed my life. And you know, he can come and he can change yours too. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to uh, uh, quit the addictions. You know, God's spirit will help you with that. You don't have to start reading more or going to church or doing any of those things. They, they're all wonderful things, by the way, and I encourage you to read a Bible, go to church. I encourage you to, to try to you know, get away from those addictions and those things holding you back. But here's the promise of God. In Ezekiel, God made this promise. He said, if you'll turn back to me, he said, I'll take out your heart of stone and I'll give you a heart of flesh. And then he said, I'll take out your dead spirit. I'll give you a live spirit. I'll bring your spirit alive. And then he said this, I will take my spirit and I'll place my spirit inside of you and I will cause you to walk in my ways. All those things that I've asked you to do, the way of life that you know I want you to live, I'm not just going to tell you to do it and then just say, go do your best. He said, I'm going to infuse you with power and passion and I'm going to enable you to make the changes you need to make to become the person that I created you to be. This is what God has on offer for you. But you've got to reach out and you've got to grab it. It's simple. It's not a formula. It's simply about this. It's about admitting that we need God. It's about accepting the fact that what Jesus did on that cross 2,000 years ago, the payment that he paid was not for his own sin. It was for mine. It was for mine. I need to admit that he paid the price for my sin. And then I need to make the choice to come humbly to God and say, Lord, I give my life over to you. Father, I make a choice today that you're going to be the one that I chase after. God, I make a choice today. You're going to be the one I seek. You're going to be the one I get to know. I'm going to make a choice today, God, to learn to listen to your voice, to learn to to do what it is that you want me to do and to live the life that you want me to live, knowing that you will empower me to do that. That's how simple it is. Open up your heart this morning. Invite Jesus Christ into your world. You won't regret it. 2,000 years ago, something so tremendous happened. It's a historical reality. And that's the basis of our faith. And because of that, in 2020, you can open up your heart and open up your life to Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for everybody that's watching today, Lord. God, I thank you for the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Lord, I thank you that that as Jesus hung on that cross, he could have saved himself. But he wasn't thinking of himself. He was thinking of me. He was thinking of many other people out there that are listening today. He was thinking of humanity. Father, thank you that when he died, that that wall of separation was torn apart. And that God, right now, 2020, today, There's nothing that stands between us and God other than our own free will choice. Jesus has dealt with sin. He has dealt with all the stuff. And all you want from us, God, is that we would humbly come before you, accept our part in Jesus' death, and open our life to you and make a choice to live for you from this moment on. So, Father, I pray for each person watching this morning, Lord, if there's anybody out there that needs to make that decision, Holy Spirit, would you speak to their hearts? Would you speak to their hearts this morning? Would you touch their lives? Would you change their lives? And I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Amen. Well, look, if you uh, did pray a prayer just then, if you feel like God's speaking to you or you, you sort of opened your heart up, then maybe you've walked away and maybe this Easter you've sort of come back to God. Let me encourage you to do something. Uh, would you go and find a church in your local area? Would you find a pastor? Would you find a Christian friend, somebody? And would you let them know, hey, I prayed a prayer this morning. Uh, I've made a decision to follow Jesus. Would you help me to take the next step in that journey with God? Would you do that for me? That would be wonderful. Uh, hey, enjoy the rest of your holiday. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. God bless you and we'll see you around.